Good morning, church. If you would take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. It is so good to see you in person. We welcome those that are watching by live stream this morning. We're so thankful for our church to be gathered physically, but also to be gathered in homes uh, around uh, the Birmingham metro area, and frankly, even beyond that. And so, so glad to see you. And I have not preached uh, to people in 13 weeks approximately. And so uh, I promise you, I'll get you out by one o'clock. I promise you, I will. So no, it, it is, it really is a, is a joy to be able to gather together uh, physically this morning with, with the proper precautions, as you see all around us, and I do want to say, as uh, the pastor here at Dawson, that for us to be able to gather here and to continue with our online strategy, there are a lot of men and women that have worked and prayed very tirelessly to be able to pull that off, and so from our music team to our communications team, our facilities team, uh, there, there are many men and women uh, that have been working and planning and praying, and we have just uh, so many volunteers that are here this morning, and so I just want to just say thank you. It's a joy to serve along uh, with uh, so many, many people, and uh, it's good to see you. It's good to see your faces. I, I told the H20 crowd, I didn't tell the 11 o'clock or the 9.30 crowd, but uh, there, I've been preaching right over there for weeks, and, and when you're preaching into a camera, you, you can lose sight of where you're preaching. There's just a lot of space around a camera, so I had to, like, literally on the first week, have a point of reference. And so we have this little play monkey that you can expand out and put around the camera lens. So I would have a frame of reference. And so, <clears throat> so I was preaching, and second week or third week, I mean, it was just really lonely in the sanctuary. And it was interesting, but like week seven, I would hear just, you know, subtle amens coming from the monkey, you know, just, just commending my, he, you know, he was a little hesitant at first, but kind of warmed up by, by week nine or ten, I would say a joke, I mean, no, this is like crickets, it's crickets here when you're here, it's certainly crickets when no one's here, and the monkey, I mean, he just would laugh, and, and so, you ever seen Castaway, Tom Hanks, you remember Wilson, and so I had my own Wilson during this time, and so I'm not trying to make light of it, but you would be uh, glad to hear that on week 12 he walked out, rededicated his life, and so, um, so the, the fruit, uh, I, I, I just I have to laugh because, you know, there's just so much, so much pain around us, and I, I do think it's okay to, to laugh and to be able to be able to laugh together here. So uh, Mark chapter 9 tells us the story of a desperate father, I, I mean, an absolutely desperate father, we, we have this thing in our house that's a digital picture frame that shows us sort of the last 15 years of our life that we've uploaded to our photo app and all of Hayden's life, our boys' lives. And it kind of groups the pictures that we see around, you know, a two-week frame or a three-week frame. And so during this time, we can see past vacations that we've taken. We see a lot of baseball. A lot of baseball games, from t-ball to coach pitch, and even more recently. And what happened, there was a frame, uh, you know, period of time where we just spent a good bit of time in the ER. We had uh, some broken arms. 
through sports. We had some stitches that needed to be done. We had some concussions. My youngest son had a mild concussion that for years he would say, Dad, do you remember when I had that wild concussion? That wild concussion? And so going back and seeing these pictures bring back all of these memories. Now listen, though, though, all of the end of those stories turned out really good, and they were really minimal struggles. But I would just say, as a parent, that is one of the most helpless feelings to have. You've been there, haven't you? Where, where you, you, you rush to the ER, you rush to the doctor, and you're waiting to know wh- what's going to be the outcome here. Sometimes it's a real emotional time for your children, and in that moment, you want to comfort them. You really want to trade places with them in the midst of tears, in the midst of what's hurting them. And here's, here's what's so helpless about it. You can't fix it. I mean, there, there's nothing in your strength to take that away from them. And, and for them to come to a place of healing, you probably know it's going to be a painful process and a painful journey. So you take your experience, the, the, the little experience that I've had in those moments, and you just multiply that exponentially and you get to the plight of this father a father who is hopeless until he introduces his son to the power of the great physician mark chapter 9 starting in verse 14 reads and when they came to the disciples they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them? Then someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, You you hear the pain from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand lifted him up and he arose and when he had entered the house his disciples asked him privately why could we not cast it out and he said to them this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer 
So here's a father who is helpless and has been helpless for years. We don't know the age of this child here, but there is a sense in which we see the plight and the desperation of this father. He comes to disciples knowing and hearing the stories of of the healing power of Jesus and and much to his initial disappointment, Jesus is still, from the context of Mark chapter 9, he's still at the Mount of Transfiguration. He still has Peter, Andrew, and John. The, The heavens have rendered and there is this moment on that mountain where the glory of God is cascading before these disciples and Jesus is not there in the valley. Now, in the valley, there's real hurt, there's real pain, there's real spiritual warfare that is occurring, and the disciples, surely the disciples would be able to help this father in the midst of what his son is experiencing, not only the physical manifestations, his muteness, epileptic seizures that he is receiving, the the harm that he is receiving here, but what we discover in this passage is, is he can't. They, they, They were unable, the disciples were unable to cast out the demon from this boy, and once again, he is disappointed. Once again, his heart aches for what his son is experiencing here. Now, this just should surprise us in some respects because there's three chapters before Mark chapter 9. Jesus has commissioned the disciples, he's commissioned them to teach the kingdom of God is at hand, to cast out demons, and there was initial success. But what we discover from Mark chapter 9 is, is their enthusiasm for the task was not enough. Their effort was not enough. Their belief was not enough. And so working backwards in this passage here, if we start at the end of the passage, it begins to teach us some truths that intersect your life and my life as a disciple. And the first truth that I want you to hold on to and to ponder this morning is the truth of what it was like to be the disciples who were not able to cast the demon out of that young boy. And that's this truth, that past spiritual successes don't guarantee victories in the face of today's challenges. Notice again, starting in verse 28 and verse 29 here, the disciples are just dumbfounded by their inability. They're privately with Jesus. There's this divine debriefing that Jesus is giving to the disciples, and they ask the question, why could we not do what you just did? And notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know something, Uh, if you would have just said the right words, then you could have done it. Why didn't you follow my script? He didn't say that. Notice what he says. He says that their lack of ability to cast out the demon was connected to their lack of communion with God. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Their lack of success was connected to their lack of communion with God. Now, this is a truth that we need to understand. Now, it's difficult to know precisely what is occurring. Some of the context could help us with this. It very well may be that the disciples were complacent and overconfident. You know, success can breed that sometimes. When, when, when things go right in your life, there can be a time, especially when you're working in the name of God, to rest in your strength, your ability, your desire, and that that is enough. And it very well may be that the success that they had three chapters ago has led them into thinking it's all about us. Josephus was a 
uh, first century Jewish historian that gives us a little bit of interesting insight into this that might help explain what's going on. But they were, they were first century Jewish prayers for actual exorcisms. There were actual incantations that were floating around in that first century world that surely the disciples would have known about. So it very well may be that in their initial success, there was a type of prayer that they hung on to, and they thought to themselves that if we just say these words, we are guaranteed victory in the midst of spiritual oppression. And they, in that moment, were resting in technique. But either way, what Jesus reminds us of is that the power of God is only accessed through communion with God. The spiritual needs that we have to face today is only accessed when we abide deeply with Him. I mean, right in the margin of your Bible, this, this example is exhibit A of what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15, verse 6. Do you remember that passage? Where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you could do... Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it seems as if the disciples are trying to do the work of God apart from dependency upon God. And you say, wow, that's unfortunate. I would say, wow, that's very familiar. That, that is a familiar temptation for all of us in the sanctuary, all of us that are watching at home at this very moment. We, too, can try to live life as if everything depends upon us, our strength, our ingenuity, our wisdom, our insight, our knowledge. But what the disciples remind us of, and what Jesus certainly is telling us, is that true spiritual power is not found in our strength, but ultimately it is found on our knees as we abide deeply with Him. This passage is a reminder. Many of you have gone to Costco, you've gone to Sam's, especially in the midst of the early days of social distancing, and you thought to yourself, I've got to get enough toilet paper to last me for two and a half years, and you remember all of those kinds of, of things that were so strange in the initial times of, of the uh, social distancing. And the reason you went to Costco, the, when, the reason that you went to Sam's is because you did not want to be in, in the neighborhood Piggly Wiggly each and every afternoon, getting what you ne needed for the day. You, you go to Sam's, you go to Costco, so you don't have to go back the next day, right? I mean, if you live in, a, you live in Manhattan, you have a one-bedroom loft, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to Costco because you can't, you can't put all of that stuff anywhere. So you have to go to the neighborhood market every day on the way back from work for your food and for your supplies. But here, we would say, hey, let's go to Sam's, let's go to Costco so we don't have to go back until, I don't know, next week or two weeks from now or three weeks from now. And at times, if we're not careful... We will treat God as if he is a, a spiritual Sam's to us or a spiritual Costco to us. We show him our membership card. I've put my faith in you. I'm a member of a church. I'm coming for my supplies for the rest of the month. I'll see you in a month. I'll see you in two weeks. I'll see you in three weeks here. And at times, we can come to him asking him to give us enough to do life without a dependency upon him in the daily needs of our life. And when the disciples are before Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray, he says, ask, give us this week our daily bread. 
Give us this month our bread. Give us this year our bread. No, give us today our daily bread. So I ask you just a couple of questions. I think are good, just spiritual diagnostic questions, especially in light of, of some of the upheaval that many people are facing, some of the challenges that you might be facing at work, the wider community in our nation, where there can be a temptation to think, I've got to figure all this out in my own strength. I ask you, and the real key to this word is consistently, am I consistently in his word, meditating upon his word, asking for the Holy Spirit to apply his word to my life? Am I, at, at this morning, this day, am I, can I look back and say, that has been a consistent diet of my life spiritually? Or am I trying to live on the spiritual snacks of yesterday to provide me the nourishment for the spiritual attacks of today? Am I consistently praying to God, adoring Him, confessing to Him, thanking Him, interceding? Is, is me on my knees a consistent posture of the last three months of my life? Am I consistently looking for opportunities that God would place before me to love my neighbor as self? To grow in His strength? Am I, am I looking for ways to be obedient to what He is teaching me? Am I consistently seeking Him not only uh, last week or two months ago or at that spiritual retreat, but on this day? Because we need Him. Oh, how we need Him. Every hour we need him. Do you feel that? You are not enough in your own strength. I am not enough in my own strength. The disciples realize this when they have this overwhelming spiritual challenge before them, and that is here for us. So we lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him. Are you consistently acknowledging him in those secret parts of your life to be able to face the public parts of your life? It's the first truth that I want you to hold on to. Past spiritual successes don't guarantee victories in the face of today's challenges. But secondly, this morning, I want you to see from God's word that the challenges of today often reflect a deeper spiritual battle. There's much that I could say about this, and there's much that you can see in this passage. But as we look at it, I think it is a reminder to us that the physical manifestations of his muteness, the seizures that this boy is experiencing, there is a physical manifestation that had a deeper spiritual origin to it. And the Father knew that. Jesus brings that to the forefront. This is one of the unique things about the Gospels. When you're reading through the Gospels, you see the presence of the demonic all throughout the Gospels. And you say, why don't I, you know, is that happening? And well, the answer is, is that here is Jesus, perfect incarnate Son of God, on the earth. And, and he has, because of who he is, he has perfect spiritual x-ray vision that you don't have and I don't have. But because we don't have that spiritual x-ray vision, don't be uh, confused in believing that the spiritual battles are not occurring. Jesus brings that to the forefront because of who he is. But Paul would tell us 
something that we need to hold on to today, which is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don't need to over-spiritualize. Every time you cough, your first instinct should, should not be a spiritual exorcism. That is correct. But I think so often we despiritualize the world in which we live. And we only see the physical, not realizing behind the physical convulsions of our communities, of our nation, of our world, there are deep physical convulsions all around us that we can see. Do not think that there are not layers of spiritual realities behind that. And that is why we must understand what true answers are to the ever-pressing questions of our day. Some people would say, hey, I, I tell you, exactly what we need. If we only had the perfect legislation, then the unrest around us. If we only had the perfect vaccine, then we'd be great. If we only had the perfect economic stimulus, if we only had the perfect political leaders, and all of those things are vitally important. We pray for them. We're thankful for men and women in God's common grace that he's given the ability to pursue that. Yes, but these are not ultimate solutions to a deeper spiritual battle that is occurring all around us. Can I, can you discern that perfectly? The answer is no, but should we deny that? The answer, of course, is no, no, no. So that's why we as believers must understand that at times we will be tempted to idolize human solutions to spiritual problems. It's both and, it's not either or. But in the midst of what is occurring, we need to be reminded of the power and the potency of prayer. You have sort of this, this movement. Your prayers aren't enough. I'm praying for you. There's, there's sort of that's become a cliche. But when we realize the spiritual that is occurring, we realize the power of prayer and we realize the importance of us personally with our families being on our knees praying for God to use the convulsions around us to expose our need for Him. Not this Wednesday night, but next Wednesday night. I want to encourage you. We're going to live stream this, but also physically here in our sanctuary at 6 o'clock. We want to have a church-wide call to prayer, lamenting the, the, the uh, injustice wanting to pray for the healing of our land, not only the uh, COVID-19, but also the healing of divisions. We want to be a part of being peacemakers and ask God for him and him alone to be able to do that work and to be able to give us that guidance and for we as a church to be found faithful in the midst of 2020 that God sovereignly knew that we would be placed in right now. So, last truth here. The challenges of today often reflect a deeper spiritual battle, yes, but finally, what I want you to see is that faith in Christ, it doesn't make you immune to the doubts of life. If there is a, a personal way for you to take this passage and apply it to your life, it is that, that many of us have walked the road of this Father here. The Father comes to Jesus not with confident faith, but faltering faith. He comes to Jesus, and the first thing that he says is, if. The, the two powerful letters of that word, if you can do anything. The disciples couldn't. 
So I'm not really sure you can, Jesus. We've taken him to other physicians, and they couldn't help him. So here we are, casting our cares upon you. I'm not really sure that you can do anything, but if you can, will you help us? And that is, a, that is a word that has been in the vocabulary of faithful believers, and it is a word that is still in the vocabulary of faithful believers. Walking the road of discipleship will often, not, not, not always, but at times will take you down the detours of doubt. And know that this father has, he's walked it before you. And there are countless Christians that have come before you, that have walked this road. And Jesus looks at him and he says, everything is possible for him who believes. And so here we wait to hear the gusto of his prayer. We wait to hear the absolute confession. I believe and I believe and I believe, but that's not what we hear. What we hear is this, verse 24, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Do you hear that there? Confidence and doubt. I do believe, but doubt is still here. I do believe, but help me in the midst of the the doubt of the past, the doubt of the hurt, the doubt of the cries, the doubt of my son being cast into the fire. His muteness, his seizures, is too much for me, Jesus. So I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. There's an insidious rumor, an insidious thought that to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you will be immune to all the doubts of life. That if you only loved Jesus more, you would not doubt. If you only read your Bible more, you would not doubt. If you only prayed more, you would not doubt. If you only went to church more, you would not doubt. And it's not true to the scriptural witness that we have here in the Gospels, and it's not true to the history of the Christian church. Doubt oftentimes is a human response to an infinite God in the midst of our finite being. And at times, God sovereignly uses even our doubts to build spiritual muscles, to make us depend more faithfully upon Him, to make us walk not by sight, but by faith. And that's true for many of you that are in the sanctuary. But many of you have been perplexed. What is the role of doubt? Should there be any type of doubt? The only way that I can truly follow Jesus is if I have no doubts. An ironclad certitude of every form and shape. And that's the only way that I can truly love Jesus. And, and here we have a prayer that is for you. It is for me. It is for all of us. I believe, but help my unbelief. It was 20 years ago. I was a religion student in college, part-time youth minister, married for one week. My youngest brother goes to hunt, and he dies in this horrific accidental hunting accident. It shook every fiber of my young faith. I did not know the word theodicy, but I struggled with theodicy. How, how can a good, sovereign God allow this senseless tragedy to happen to my brother? It was like a Mike Tyson 
uppercut to my stomach. He just took my spiritual breath out from me, and I had to, to, as this young Christian minister to these students in the midst of not understanding where is God in the midst of this, and, and praying to God, and feeling as if my prayers just didn't not move past the ceiling above me. And the weeks turned into months, and the months seemed to be just unending, and, and I remember months later, being in a, a, a class on the Gospels where my professor was walking through and we got to this prayer, and it was something about this prayer. It, it felt as if I had never seen it before, and maybe I had never seen it before. But it was like neon lights. I believe, but help my unbelief. And, and I couldn't get back to our, our one-bedroom apartment on the campus of Mississippi College any quicker. I came into our, 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 our living room there, and I just pulled open the Bible, and I just read it again, and I read it again, and I read it again. And this passage became a prayer. Lord, I believe that you're good. Help my unbelief. I believe that you are sovereign. Help my unbelief. I believe that you were with my brother even at the very end of his life. Help my unbelief. I believe that you're there even when I don't feel you. Help my unbelief. I feel that you are in control of everything, but everything seems out of control. Help my unbelief. And there's some of you in this room that at times your faith will be a struggling faith where you feel as if you're just treading the water in this great ocean trying to stay above the water. And sometimes it'll be clinging faith where you're just holding on to the side wondering if you're going to slip. And I want you to hear that in the midst of those times that Jesus is enough there in the apartment. I, I, I saw no thunderbolt in the sky. I, I heard no voice audibly, but there was this undeniable presence of the Word of God and the Spirit of God ministering to my wounded heart. Did I have all of my answers after that? The answer is no, but what I realized in that moment is that even without all of the answers, He was enough. And coming to Jesus with all of my doubts, with all of my confusion, with all of my grief, with all of my hurt, He was there. And He's there for you today. You look around and you say, I just, I don't understand why all of this is happening. I don't understand why there's all so much division. Same people can look at the same thing and come to polar opposite opinions of it. I don't understand God, but I believe. Help my unbelief. In the midst of confusion, hurt, doubt, the convulsions of this world that is not our lasting home, sometimes the most powerful prayer that you can pray is help. Let us pray. So it is, God, that we come to you this morning.
reminded that you are a good God, even in the midst of doubt, even in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of the convulsions of our nation and, frankly, the world around us. We, we cannot, from our finite perspective, sort out exactly why and how you're working all things together, but we don't have to. Even in the midst of our doubt, even in the midst of, of families that are hurting economically, the pains of racial division, sickness that is, haunts many people, may, maybe many that are, are watching even right now. We can come to you and you meet us when our faith seems so feeble, when all that we can get out of our heart to our mouth is help. Thank you, God, that you meet us in that moment and you hold us in your righteous hands. We look to you because you are enough. We look to you because you are the only assurance that we have. I pray that every person that is watching this morning, every person that is here in the sanctuary would hold on to you even through the uncertainties of life. We pray this in your name, the name that is above every name. Amen.